Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I'll tell you what, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start off this episode by just reading a meme. And I think that this meme exemplifies much of what's going on right now. There is division everywhere. It doesn't matter really what, what's occurred in the past. There are endless people forgetting that we've been galvanized together as Americans to remember a great many things. Restored faith, learning, unlearning, relearning, reading, writing, a number of different things that have been occurring in all of our lives, hopefully, over the last number of years. But the saying goes like this, quote, Trying to help people understand what's going on right now is like going back into a burning building to pull someone out only to have them keep punching you in the face and demand evidence that the building is on fire, even after they admit they can see the flames, unquote. I think that fits perfectly. I think it fits perfectly with the subjects that I brought up in the last episode, both at the beginning, the middle, and the end, and some of the things that I'm going to mention here at the top of this episode and then throughout. There are so many things that are going on right now that many people are just reactive and they really enjoy being miserable. It doesn't matter if they are seemingly on our side or not, if they call themselves patriots or not, if they have learned a great deal about the world that we, that we live in and they've woken up from the matrix or they haven't, there's still plenty of division within all of those sides. And many individuals, again, lying for one another and covering for one another and seemingly supporting one another, even though many sides can see clearly what's really going on, they don't want to think beyond what's comfortable for them. They want to believe that they have it all figured out. I am certainly not one of those people. I don't think I have it all figured out. It's quite the opposite. I'm willing to take in copious amounts of information and not limit what I'm capable of taking in because, frankly, I don't know what that limit is. And I don't think any of us really know what that limit is. Again, let's go back in time to when you were dead asleep and maybe when you lived in the Matrix because we were all there at some point. It's the rare person that would have been born into a family with awake parents, and those awake parents were teaching their children about the real world that we live in on a constant red-pilling basis to where the child was born into a red-pill pharmacy, and all they were getting and all they were eating were nothing but red pills. The odds of that are slim. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that it's slim. So let's go back to when some of us were in the matrix. You cannot possibly believe for a minute that what's going on right now is not incredible. We're seeing copious amounts of information fly in front of us and endless people completely rewrite their futures and rewrite their pasts and admit fault and, you know, I I thought I had this figured out or this subject figured out, but yet I don't and now I have more to learn and what does that mean and so on and so forth. Again, the continuous sad part, though, is that everybody has that limit. 
And by everybody, I, I don't even mean everybody. I just mean there are many people who have a limit. There's only so far that they want to think. There's only so far that they want to see. That's not unique to just those who are asleep. Those include those who are seemingly awake. They just don't want to understand that they have the ability to see past their hand in front of their own face. That they have the ability to think way beyond what they could possibly imagine and multidimensionally and consider, and I emphasize the word consider, numerous avenues of thought. Again, some of the reaction to my past episode was an interesting one. It created it created a lot of a lot of conversation. Me being called names and a, num- a number of other things. I find it remarkably funny. I find it remarkably funny. And I've spoken about this trend also, which is disturbing as far as I'm concerned, but there's a disturbing trend among many who have massive audiences where they fall into these pits of panic and and ringing off headlines and, and all of this constant panic and we're failing and we're doomed and no one's going to save us and this is horrible and we should, there's no plan to trust and what are we going to do? And yet these were the very people who were profiting from the education that we were all receiving around the exact same time. Let me give you two examples, really. I'll start with one. You'll hear a lot of people start to talk about World War III. Well, World War III, we're almost there. We're almost there. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been in World War III since 2015. And do you know when that started? Do you have any idea when World War III started? It started when Donald Trump came down the escalator with his wife saying he was running for president. That was when World War III kicked off. Because the domestic war started here. And then the reaction among the quote-unquote globalists followed. Inter-country maneuvers being made, a thousand other things taking place. The moment that he ran for president, that was when World War III began. You saw the media go after him, the establishment go after him, everybody go after him, Kazarian Mafia, all of them. And that was something that had never happened before. It was right in front of our faces. We saw it. It was right there. The reaction was strange. Many of us had this feeling that we didn't want to vote for somebody who exemplified the establishment. That's why there were all these other candidates running for president who were not in government. Remember, you had Carly Fiorina, you had Ben Carson. There may have been a couple others, but that was essentially it. And Donald Trump and everybody else was establishment, without a doubt. But of course, he ended up winning, and he won big. And there were endless things, of course, that occurred during his inauguration, and we all saw it. It was right in front of our faces. It was right there. Remember all those military individuals standing behind him as his speech started? They were all standing right there as he told us that he was giving the country back to us. And then they turned around, they walked up the stairs, 
the other people sitting around didn't know what the hell was going on. They all looked confused. Like, why, why is the military standing there? And then there are really endless examples of things that we have seen over the course of time since he entered office that are undeniable that something else is going on. And of course, he, took, he takes an oath of office. And there are multiple titles that a president of the United States has, and president of the United States is just one title. But the oath of office ensures that that individual has an oath to follow, and that does not involve handing over a government to a compromised individual, in particular if they have proof, and the military has proof that either there was voter fraud, foreign interference, or any, basically any other things. The sad part is that all of these people who were profiting from all of that education and all of those cue drops and all of that knowledge apparently have amnesia. And it's widespread. Endless people who were literally profiting, making money off of the Q movement have now abandoned all of it. And they've just relegated themselves in their own shows down to naming headlines, stirring up panic, and then saying, well, I don't know where we go from here. Well, I don't know what we do. Uh, something's got to happen. Something's got to change. And they're constantly begging for something to take place. Again, you've heard me say again, <laughs> it's exhausting, but you've heard me say on this show that it's up to the individual to exhaust as many avenues as humanly possible to come to certain conclusions as to where they sit in this war. All the emails that I've sent to all the elected officials that I've, that, that I've sent them to regarding the jabs, 5G, these kinds of issues, again, they matter. It's not that I'm doing it in, in, in the effort of receiving emails back. I know I'm not going to. But what does that prove to me? It proves to me that they're breaking their oaths of office. They're not communicating about life and death situations because it, if they don't believe it, well, then it must not be happening. And therein lies the problem again with many of these large platforms. If they don't believe it's happening, then it must not be happening. Beliefs are not facts. They aren't. But there's a middle road. And the middle road, again, is what are we actually seeing with our own eyes and then critically thinking about what is it that we're seeing and does it seem to make sense or does it seem beyond outlandish? You've heard me go through Joe Biden's hilarious inauguration. It was completely and utterly fake. They used COVID, of course, as the excuse as to why people weren't there in mass. Ladies and gentlemen, when Garth Brooks ran his ass all the way down those stairs, took his mask off, sung Amazing Grace, put his mask back on, and ran his ass all the way up those stairs, sprinting in those skin-tight jeans, you thought that was normal? You didn't stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, wait a second, something else is going on here, because all of that looks way too ridiculous. <laughs> it was laughable. It was laughable. But again, the number of people who got so angry, all the so-called awake conservatives, 
who got so angry about all of that. He's our president. This sucks. What are we going to do? And everybody just started screaming about it. Cool out. Cool out. There's something else going on here. It doesn't mean we have to know everything that's going on, but there's too many weird things going on at face value to not consistently ask questions, think critically, theorize, and have discussions about it. It doesn't mean you're you're blindly putting faith in in anything. Blindly implies that your eyes are closed. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't blindly take a step forward with my eyes closed. I don't know if there's a cliff there or not. So if we open our eyes, there's endless things that we can see that are actually happening. Take this as well. This is important. This was something Derek Johnson brought up, which I think is is worth mentioning. Why is it that in in a speech recently, Donald Trump would say, when I become president, I'm going to sign an executive order, he said, or I'm going to, I don't even think he said that. He said, I'm going to sign a bill, he said, that will cause individuals to, who, have, who have entered the United States illegally to be immediately deported, that we will have a nationwide deportation at a level that has never occurred before in the United States. And everybody cheered because we want them gone. What people fail to understand and think on a different dimension is, he's the commander-in-chief still, which means all he has to do, he doesn't have to sign a bill, all he has to do is sign a piece of paper and say, military, do this, and then they do it. There isn't anything that can stop that. He can flush out and find because the military knows where these people are, certainly the vast majority of them, they can find these illegals, scoop them up, and take them away. That has to happen. I think the invasion at the southern border is real to, to a great extent. I mean, I don't know where you live, but where I live, it's beyond evident that there are more illegals who don't speak English who are around. I was at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles the other day getting my driver's license renewed. I kid you not, this happened. A guy walks in, English dude, English, you know, American, and he turns around and he looks at everybody and he goes, and I'm up at the, I'm up at the table, and he goes, uh, who's, whose silver car is that out there? No, I have a silver car, but I thought, well, God, I hope that's not mine. And he's pointing right at it and he says, it's this one right up front. It wasn't my car. But it was the older guy who was standing next to me at the, at the counter as we were, you know, making our, our financial exchanges and, and doing what we were doing regarding our registrations and whatever. And he says, well, that's my car. And he says, well, this couple right here in this red car just backed into you. And he goes, just now? And he goes, yeah, man, just now. And the couple came in that had backed into this guy. They came into the BMV. And they sat down, and the woman stands up. She walks over to us. They were clearly Hispanic. She walks over to us, and she says, Hablo Espanol? And we all looked at her, and we went, no. And then she turns around, and she starts to walk away. And the woman who was helping me goes, I'll I'll, I'll figure this out. You know, I'll, I'll call the police. I'll do whatever I have to do. 
These two individuals were driving an automobile in the United States of America, and neither one of them spoke a word of English. How is that possible? How is that even possible? I live in southwest Ohio. It can't get more white here. We're all white. <laughs> there aren't Mexicans here. There didn't used to be. Same thing with the Asian population. And that's even decreasing because most of them are university students. My, my point is, is that at face value, you should be able to see that some things are very real, like illegal immigration, and some things are not. Some things are beyond absurd that they have to be scripted. This headline the other day, for example, that some Navy tranny is now the spokesperson for the Navy. That can't be real. I'm not saying there aren't trannies in the Navy. I'm not saying there aren't trannies in the military. I'm saying, after all of the Dylan Mulvaney blow-up with Bud Light and losing billions of dollars in a matter of just a couple of weeks or a couple of days, with the Navy already having an impossible time finding anybody, do you think that a headline like that is on purpose to really recruit people? Or is it done on purpose in order to enrage people? I think it's the latter. But again, it's the Fox News watching staunch conservatives and the people who have amnesia about the fact that multiple things are taking place here at once and that we don't have to know everything that's taking place, but that some of the things are done to garnish a reaction, or garner rather, not garnish, but garner a reaction from people, an emotional response. Remember the video, and I know you'll remember this, because most of us have seen this video. It was either a TikTok video, and it, and it made the rounds a while back. It was an attractive female who said that she worked in the Army for a very long time. She was sitting inside of her car. It was a sunny day. She had blonde hair, and she said, I think she was even wearing a flannel shirt, if, if memory serves, or a plaid shirt. She said, I used to work for the United States Army. We run psychological operations on Americans all of the time. We do it constantly. We'll put out a headline. You'll think it's the news station. It's us. And we're doing it in order to elicit a reaction, an emotional response. Some of it is for the purpose of educating the public, legitimately, through either, again, an emotional response, rage, whatever it may be. And then sometimes it's done for nefarious reasons also. But she said, we do this to all of you. It goes on constantly. It's not all bad. Some of it's done for very, very good reasons that have a much larger plan behind the scenes that you don't know about. You may recall that video. That's kind of my point here. My point is, is that there are endless things that we can see at face value that are taking place that are beyond strange. Doesn't mean horrible things aren't happening. They certainly are. Bolshevism is in full force in the field of education. You've heard me bring it up. That's what I'm going to talk about in this episode also. Endless examples. But the solution is remarkably simple. It's not a complicated solution. It's too corrupt in order to fix, 
which is why it has to be destroyed. The fastest way to make it insolvent and the fastest way to destroy American K-12 and university education is to stop participating in it, vote against it, and then it will cease to exist. That's how they lose money. That's how all these bad people go away. But there are still people who are claiming that the system is terrible, and yet they keep paying into the system. They keep sending their children. They keep participating in the games and the bread and circus nonsense and so on and so forth. But you can't have it both ways. It has to be one way or the other. It's, it's an interesting discussion. The hypocrisy is everywhere among countless people. Like I said earlier, people who used to profit from all of that Q drop and all of those Q drop posts and all of that education that that, that that fed numerous people in a positive psychological operation to wake people up and galvanize people, those people are now apparently stricken with amnesia and reverting back to let's just read headlines and get enraged. It's, you know, those, those aren't people providing any kind of a solution let alone learning from history, nor accurate history. This is a problem. I mean, you had Steven Crowder on Alex Jones the other day. How do you defend Steven Crowder after that video of him berating his then-pregnant wife with twins over nothing? Steven Crowder's not well. I don't think Alex Jones is well either. But he seems to think that it was the deep state. It's a deep state attack against Steven Crowder in order to silence him and whatever else. What a, what a terrible excuse. What a pathetic excuse. There's no solution there. there there's, there's nothing there. Those guys have nothing to offer anymore. I mean, they really don't. Not, and that's my opinion, but you know, there, there's a time and a place for it, I think. But Eventually, you just start to realize that those guys only talk about particular things at particular times. There was a funny video, too, that was bouncing around. Somebody asked, somebody called into Alex Jones. I saw this video online, but somebody called into Alex Jones and asked him why Tucker Carlson wears a Kabbalah bracelet on his, on his wrist. And there's numerous pictures of Tucker Carlson wearing this red, this red bracelet which of course is you know, sort of a Jewish cult kind of thing. I don't know the whole history behind it, but that's kind of the thing. And he blew it off. I mean, he just blew it off. You start talking about the Kazarian Mafia in front of Alex Jones, and he panics, and he, and he, and he stops. That's suspicious. Again, look at what these people don't talk about. And look at what the individuals, again, who are profiting from all of the waking up, the so-called Great Awakening, which even he says that phrase, well, he didn't come up with that phrase. That phrase was re-injected by the Q movement and by those Q posts. That's where the phrase, the Great Awakening, was re-injected. It wasn't even created by the Q posts either. You heard me say a long time ago on this show that the phrase, the Great Awakening, came about as a result of Benjamin Franklin during the Revolutionary War. It goes back that far, if not further than that. And it specifically states that it means, quite literally, a reawakening 
of an individual's connection to God and the world they live in, the real world that they live in, what their duty is as a person, the individual importance that they play in, in, in their own country and where they live and the responsibility that they have in becoming closer to God. That's what the Great Awakening is. It's what it meant back in the Revolutionary War. It's what it means now. The problem is, is that people are hijacking that phrase, not knowing its history, and certainly disregarding, to their detriment, I think, disregarding who and what re-injected that phrase into our societal vernacular. And it was those Q, it was those Q drops. That's not make-believe. That's real. That's a real history lesson I just provided. That's a real thing. It's in literature, dating back again in Benjamin Franklin's writings. That's a real thing. That's legit. So I know this has been a 25-minute talk about the current state of affairs. I just continue to be disappointed in the individuals who apparently have amnesia or don't want to touch on a particular subject anymore because they don't think it's profitable or they think that they're somehow above it all. That's absurd. And that's a huge mistake. And I think it's going to back up on those people. I think it's going to back up on a lot of them. Ask yourself this question too. Again, it's just, you know, it's one more example of something that is beyond strange. Donald Trump went to Scotland. It's a very interesting location in Scotland, by the way. His ancestors are from there. Why is it that King Charles is allegedly being coronated and Joe Biden isn't going? I thought he was the president of the United States. They're allegedly sending Kamala Harris. That's not something that a vice president would, in, would, uh, would participate in. And then, of course, Donald Trump gave an interview when he was over there and he said, I don't think he can make it. I just don't think he's up to making it. I don't, I don't think he can come over here. Why would he say that? Seems weird, doesn't it? Seems odd. It's almost like he's controlled by good guys for the purpose of trying to wake up other people so that they ask those questions and say, wait a minute, why isn't Joe Biden going over there? That's normally something Joe Biden would go over there for. And there you go. These things are happening and being said to us on purpose by the good guys on a constant basis, and it's at face value. But if people don't slow down, quiet their mind, get away from the constant panic and, and these reactionary headlines, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss some of the clues because I think that they're there. I know that they're there. Again, they're at face value. Let me mention this too before I get into Bolshevism. It's kind of an um, interesting segue, I think, but I watched my recent city council meeting. And these, as you would expect, are an abomination. These city council meetings are absolutely incredible. If you want to crash course in watching a row of dummies just behave the way that they behave, watch, watch a city council meeting, in particular if they are not seemingly conservatives. And even if they are, it's probably, you know, they're, they're probably equally as stupid. But they're talking about things that don't matter. They were all panicking about that Ohio bill that I brought up in a previous episode where, of course, both sides of the, 
political landscape are being tricked, that the entire thing has actually less to do with getting rid of gay ideologies and, and all of that degeneracy, and it has even more to do with eliminating free speech because now apparently you won't be able to talk about anything that anyone deems as being controversial, which means the hollow hoax is out, of, out the window. You can't talk about fake shootings in the classroom anymore. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about that. See, they think that it's a left-right issue. It's not. It's a First Amendment issue. It's a truth issue. That's the real problem. Again, it continues to disappoint me, the number of seeming conservatives or uh, you know, freedom-loving and awake individuals who, again, still think that all of these school shootings actually happen, which, again, brings up the point, where is that tranny festo? Where's the so-called manifesto? I thought that was supposed to come out weeks ago. And then last week, they were like, it's coming out. Where is it? It's nowhere because it doesn't exist. Because <laughs> there wasn't one. Because there wasn't a shooting. I mean, you see the, you know, the easy trail of thought at face value. It's, it's astounding. But in the city council meeting, at the end, the mayor actually says that he himself and the former mayor are going to make a trip in July to Poland in order to then drive into Ukraine so that they can meet up with their sister sponsor to support Ukraine. And then he says, but don't give us money. We aren't interested in your money. But if you want to donate to some Ukrainian organization, we will be providing that money to those Ukrainians in Ukraine on behalf of this city and all its citizens and blah, blah, blah. These dummies have no idea that Ukraine is one of the largest child trafficking organizations in the world, outside of, of course, the United States, the UN, the EU, and all of that. That it's a hub of drugs, bioweapons, and prostitution, and child trafficking, and child sacrifice. They don't know that. If they knew that for a fact, deep down in their being, they wouldn't be making that trip. They wouldn't even be asking for any money. This just proves how dumb they are, how dead asleep they are. So there are endless examples of things, again, that we can see at face value that tell us what people know, what they don't know, but also how deep are they willing to think? What are they willing to take into consideration as to what is really going on in the world? Those individuals, of course, are dead asleep. Me personally, I like to think I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum, and I take into account numerous scenarios and endless things from multiple angles at as many dimensions as I possibly can because it stimulates thought. It opens up the third eye. And, and we, have to, we have to try to reach that point. I think that's important. So being dismissive of particular things, but then blindly accepting others, I mean, good Lord. Take SGT Report, right? Sean from SGT Report. This guy, I've, I've had the opportunity to be on his show from people who know him and have been on his show. And I've said I'm not interested in being on his show. Because if I tell him that these school shootings don't happen, that Nashville didn't happen, well, 
that would be like him pissing in a fan. He wouldn't do that because it'd blow back right on top of him. Because he's out there going, I mean, look at this. You know, this tranny in Nashville, you know, killed these poor, innocent kids. He thinks that happened. He's saying it. Which means he's lost the plot. That's too bad. (laughs) I mean, that's sad. But whatever. He wants to say those things and, I don't know, stir up, uh, stir up panic. Go for it. I have, you know, I also have a bit of a hard time uh, listening to someone who doesn't want to show their face ever. I mean, you want to see what I look like? Get on the internet. My face is all over the place. But you know, that's an that's another thing. But either way, I just think it's strange. Again, coming from a person who apparently has it figured out and knows what's going on, and yet they blindly believe a headline like that. It just, it shows that some people just don't want to think beyond a particular wavelength, beyond a particular frequency. Again, either that frequency is profitable for them, and and that's their concern, or it's not. You've heard me say this a thousand times. I don't do this show for money. I'm not interested in that. Some have donated, and I'm immensely grateful. I don't ask for donations. I'm interested in the conversation. Because if we stop having any kind of a multidimensional conversation, it's over. It's all over. Everybody's just moaning their way from one headline to the other without actually thinking a little bit deeper about particular things. And that's problematic. So. I'm never going to be one of those people. I'm not going to sell myself out to a conversation for a couple of shekels. It's not going to happen. I wasn't born that way. I wasn't raised that way. And it isn't worth it. It's just not worth it. Again, you're listening to a whistleblower right now. Before it was fashionable. You're listening to a whistleblower inside the American K-12 education system who went head-to-head with two state departments of education, pretty much by himself. My parents were behind me and family who knew me and and the occasional lawyer or two. But I gave up everything I had in order to tell the truth and to expose very bad people and save children from being sexually groomed and physically abused. They weren't held accountable the way that I would like. I would like them I, I would like them to be dead. I would like them to be in jail at the very least, because people are in jail for doing less than what they did. But if you can listen to a guy for just a little while, couple, you know, three days a week, who gave up everything he had, sold all of his belongings, left the profession that he was born to teach in, just to tell the truth, I'll let you decide as to whether or not that's somebody that you want to keep listening to or not. That's up to you. So here we go. Bolshevism. It doesn't end. It continues. I want to read this briefly, and then I want to give you a history lesson, because we've been warned about this, and it's continuing to happen. Because again, in this war, the enemy isn't quitting. They're going to keep moving. They're going to keep making these moves and see how radical they can make things 
while they all take their group pictures and make it look like they're making a difference. These are snakes. These are possessed individuals. And many of the stories I'm going to bring up here in this episode have to do with murder and just children getting killed, not just jab-related, but other things as well. And I'll kick it off with this. This was from the Gateway Pundit. It's titled, Oregon Bill to Hide Children from Parental Knowledge About Abortions, Gender Surgery, Passes the State House. It says they have rammed through HB 2002, a highly controversial bill that would allow children to get abortions and undergo gender transformation surgery without their parents' knowledge, and the parents' insurance company would have to pick up the cost. The bill passed 36 to 23, with every Democrat voting for it, along with one Republican, Representative Charlie Conrad. Every other Republican voted against the bill. Sands won, who was absent for the day. This will get signed into law. Here's the history lesson. Driving a wedge between government, the state, I should say, same thing, and parents is Bolshevism. It's always been Bolshevism. It's always been the tactic of Bolshevism. It's also Marxism, but it's Lenin, Stalin, all of them. That's that's what they try to do. Because, of course, those become the children that are the easiest to manipulate. Because death is the ultimate goal. State control and then kill the child. Let me read three small paragraphs here from a speech that was given by Joseph Goebbels. In a speech that he titled, Communism with the Mask Off. Because communism with the mask off is Bolshevism, and it's murder. This speech was delivered, as it says, and this was thrown to me by Sicily. It's an excellent read, long read. I put it on, um, I put it on my Gab page. It's fantastic. He, 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 perfectly calls it out. And he calls out the fake news in the entire thing also, and how the media lies to people constantly. It says the speech was delivered to the annual Congress of the National Socialist Party on the 13th of September, 1935. Again, this is titled by Joseph Goebbels, Communism with the Mask Off. He said, quote, The so-called peace policy of the Soviet Union practically shows itself in world revolutionary intrigues, among the other countries, in unscrupulous stirring up of conflicts between the various states, while at the same time it is arming at a fantastic rate in preparation for a war of aggression. People in Western European countries talk of a social order without class distinction. But in Russia itself, there is a violent differentiation between the privileged and the dispossessed castes. He says the Soviet propaganda speaks of, quote, a paradise of children that contains the happiest youth in the world, unquote. Keep in mind, this is 1930s. Bolshevik Russia we're talking about. This is not, this is the Soviet Union, rather. This is not current-day Russia. 
They're night and day. He continued and he said, The real state of the case, however, shows us millions of unsupported children, the existence of child labor, and even the death penalty for children. Bolshevik propaganda deceitfully talks of the, quote, emancipation of women through communism, unquote. The truth is that the institution of marriage has been completely set aside, and there is a terrible disintegration and abolition of family life, that there is an absence of employment for women and a state of prostitution that is alarmingly on the increase. Such a regime in which theory and practice are in glaring contradiction cannot possibly maintain its position except by the propagation of falsehood and unscrupulous hypocrisy. Unquote. You can't listen to that and not think about the current state of affairs in American education and many of these Bolshevik businesses that occur in our country and around the world. We're watching Bolshevism slither around and slap around like a snake with its head cut off. And endless good guys, people like you and me, are constantly with a pitchfork stabbing at it as it continues to slither around. What Bolshevism doesn't understand is it always loses. Because it has no plan. It has no long-term, quote-unquote, sustainability. That word that they love to use, it's not sustainable. There's, they're not interested in sustaining life. They're interested in ending it. That's their entire message. That's everything that's taking place here. Now, there's a piece of audio here that I want to play, which again fits into this, and then it continues on with, again, a lot of horrible things that are happening in the field of education, but it's occurring at face value, and we have to ask ourselves, do we want to participate in this or not? Donald Trump gave one of his messages. Uh, some, I forget, he, I think he calls them Plan 47, something like that, Agenda 47. And he's speaking about higher education. I want to play this audio for you. I'll come in at the end and discuss a few things because, again, this is food for thought. I'm not saying that this is the only thing that needs to take place because, again, we have a responsibility to not rely on government. We have to rely on ourselves. We have to govern ourselves. You've heard me say that a thousand times. But here's what he said recently regarding his complete dismantling or taking control over higher education and how to force them into compliance again, so he thinks, but time will tell on this. Here's his message regarding that in three, two, one. For many years, tuition costs at colleges and universities have been exploding. And I mean, absolutely exploding. While academics have been obsessed with indoctrinating America's youth, the time has come to reclaim our once great educational institutions from the radical left, and we will do that. Our secret weapon will be the college accreditation system. It's called accreditation for a reason. The accreditors are supposed to ensure that schools are not ripping off students and taxpayers, but they have failed totally. 
When I return to the White House, I will fire the radical left accreditors that have allowed our colleges to become dominated by Marxist maniacs and lunatics. We will then accept applications for new accreditors who will impose real standards on colleges once again and once and for all. These standards will include defending the American tradition and Western civilization, protecting free speech, eliminating wasteful administrative positions that drive up costs incredibly, removing all Marxist diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucrats, offering options for accelerated and low-cost degrees, providing meaningful job placement and career services, and implementing college entrance and exit exams to prove that students are actually learning and getting their money's worth. Furthermore, I will direct the Department of Justice to pursue federal civil rights cases against schools that continue to engage in racial discrimination and schools that persist in explicit unlawful discrimination under the guise of equity will not only have their endowments taxed, but through budget reconciliation, I will advance a measure to have them fined up to the entire amount of their endowment. A portion of the seized funds will then be used as restitution for victims of these illegal and unjust policies, policies that hurt our country so badly. Colleges have gotten hundreds of billions of dollars from hardworking taxpayers, and now we are going to get this anti-American insanity out of our institutions once and for all. We are going to have real education in America. Thank you. A couple of things here. Again, at face value, it seems fine. I don't disagree with that. You have to go after the accreditors. I'm all for it. It's thankless work. Because again, in, in order to get hired to do something like that, you have to want to read policy, read standards, delete a bunch of stuff, which would be super fun, and then rewrite the simplicity of what really needs to be there in order for a school to be accredited. Where that becomes a bit of an issue, of course, has to do with state law. Because there are some states, again, that ban ha the, the ability to have conversations about particular subjects. Now, I forget where this, and you can, anybody can help me with this. I forget where the state of Florida sits on the issue of the Hala hoax. Do they, uh, if memory serves, I thought that they allowed individuals at their State Department of Education to basically say that you're allowed to have debates about it, that you're allowed to bring alternative views into the classroom about the fake Holocaust and all of that stuff from a, clearly a historic perspective and how it's not real. The question, of course, then becomes, will you look at a state like Ohio and the bill that I, that I recently made mention of, both in this episode and the last, having to do again with not being able to have conversations about particular subjects in the classroom? So again, which is it? You know, how is that going to pan out? My issue with higher education has always remained the same. You can continue to pay the fees and the, and the fines and the, the taxes and all the extra side charges that they have on top of tuition, on top of room and board, on top of food, on top of everything else. Or you can educate yourself in an online environment that is accredited 
where you have the freedom to actually ask questions in discussion formats and because they are online, they are both national and international. They're not subject to individual state laws regarding certain conversations that you know, can or cannot take place, essentially. That's why I think those environments are far more healthier if a person is going to attend, as opposed to, again, a brick-and-mortar campus where a person has to sit in a room and listen to somebody who thinks they know everything that they're talking about, uh, and you can't escape. In an online environment, you can always turn it off. You can always put your laptop computer down and walk away and let things resonate in your mind and then come back to it when, when you see fit. That's far more healthier, I think, rather than being trapped in a classroom. But I like him mentioning, of course, the legal aspect of it, because he's right when it comes to the business of the diversity, equity, and inclusion garbage. It is discriminatory. We're watching that take place constantly. Individuals who academically succeed more than, say, another race, the race that isn't academically succeeding as much as, say, the white race, for example, the white kids are being excluded because they're white. Now, the university isn't going to openly say that because that would be against the law, but we know what's happening. We know that. Endless Jewish students are making it in who are not academically succeeding or don't have the credentials, but they're getting in because they're Jewish. The same thing happens at the university where I live here, where they're more interested in the money from Asians. Miami University was taking in copious amounts of money from Asian students, in particular from China, because they had to pay way more, and they had the money to do so. But instead of taking a student who academically succeeded more in high school, who lived locally, or even right across the Ohio River, say in Kentucky or even in Indiana, they wouldn't want those students. They would want the, the Chinese student because they were interested in money. That's not, that's not a new practice. That's something that goes on constantly. But yes. Do lawyers need to get involved to crack down on that and keep that from happening? That'd be nice. But what environment are they still sending them to? They're still sending them to the illusion of an education. And you heard him say at the end, we need a real education in our country. If that's true, then we can't keep lying to people and misleading them with false curriculum. We have to teach a real history of our country and what our country has been responsible for, and what our country has done, and a thousand other things. You know, there was an interesting discussion that was taking place on one of the boards that I paid attention to, and the person said this. They said, I could never have imagined the Gen Z population here that, that is around us be surrounded with so much technology and yet have no flipping idea how to use it. I mean, have you ever sat a high school kid or a middle school kid down in front of a computer? They fill their shorts because they don't know what to do. They have no idea. How do I turn it on? Where, where's the on button? They have no idea. When it comes to the business of typing, it, it can be remarkably difficult. Word processing, maintaining the computer, downloading updates, opening up new folders, things of this nature. I'm not saying that there aren't schools that don't teach this to children. I'm, I'm certain that there are, and I know of many. 
But he has a very interesting point. That was even something I witnessed when I was a school teacher. When I taught school over ten, about 10 years ago, uh, you know, same thing. I would have students look at me, they'd sit in front of a computer and they'd go, Mr. Brooks. And I go, yeah. And they just point at the screen and go, what do I do? And then they'd reach into their pocket, they'd pull out, pull out their phone and they'd say, I know how to use this. But then they'd point at the computer and go, I, I don't, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to use this. It's beyond strange. But again, the education system in our country can't be fixed. Can, be, can they be legally squeezed? Of course. Absolutely. Can the Department of Education be gotten rid of? Yes. Can schools become insolvent because people don't want to pay tax levies and they don't want to vote for levies and increase property taxes and so on and so forth? Of course. That has to happen. All of that has to happen. And it is happening which is a great thing. I just don't think that you can bring these institutions back to anything that is worthwhile. I don't see that happening. I see more colleges and universities closing. I see more of them becoming insolvent. I see them firing more of their staff and professors because they can't keep the lights on. This is not a bad thing. It forces the groupthink individual into an individual train of thought and thinking for themselves. How is it that I learn content? Where is it that I should go in order to learn content? Again, many of them don't even know that there are online universities for bachelors, masters, and PhDs. It's astounding. I, of course, was saying this back again when I taught, when I taught high school. I was shocked that high school students were showing up, waking up early, getting dressed, coming in looking miserable, not wanting to learn anything. And I'm saying to myself, you know, you don't have to be here. I mean, I may have been one of the only K-12 school teachers advocating for children to actually learn from home and teach themselves. It's a bit strange, I know, but I was doing that constantly. You don't have to be here. You don't have to you don't you don't have to walk around this building and worry about getting a tater tot thrown in the back of your head or getting slammed to the ground. You can, you can actually just stay home and learn online. This is a thing. This exists. But many of them, again, they're trapped in the matrix. So long term, again, can, can, can lawfare be put against these universities in an effort to make them comply? Of course. But what's the Bolshevik tactic? The Bolshevik tactic is to fight to the death. That snake with its head cut off will slither around as much as it possibly can, regardless of how many pitchforks are stabbing at it, from a law end or a real, you know, a just end. They're not going to quit. They will embed themselves. They will hide. They will disappear. They will take on different personas. Because as you've also heard me say, the CIA and those who are of that wavelength of thought or those lack of, you know, that lack of character, they exist within the American higher ed and K-12 institutions. Because they all think alike, by and large, don't they? And when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. So I wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. Here's another one. Again, Bolshevism, same wavelength here. 
This is, uh, this is from TulsaWorld.com. It is titled, this was just from the other day, Ryan Walters calls teachers unions terrorist organizations in a heated legislative hearing. What he says is not uncommon. And he's 100% right. But the sound that you'll hear from the people who disagree with him as they interrupt him as soon as he says it, it's exactly the sound that you would hear in hell. It's just the demons all hissing. <gasps> Terrorist organization, boo. And then they go, that's not true, boo. And then they start interrupting him. Give this a listen in three, two, one. There were some issues under the previous administration, and which, again, I'm going to be real direct. It was an absolute dumpster fire when we got to this agency. Joy Hoffmeister had ran this administration, this agency, into the ground. And what we started doing very quickly was ensuring there would be accountability for every dollar spent. We wanted to ensure that there was proper oversight. And we wanted to ensure that you all, the public, could see how every single dollar was spent. So we have moved actively to audit reorganize, restructure the organization so that the proper oversight would be would be felt. And again, we have organizations like the teachers union that have gone out there and spread all kinds of lies about what's going on in the agency. Every time I meet with superintendents, which I do every single week, I had an all call with every superintendent, made it available to every superintendent of the state two weeks ago and said, hey, anyone has any issue with any program, here's my cell phone number, let me know anytime. You can come over to the agency and meet with us anytime. That invitation is obviously open to any member of the legislature. I've said that from day one. We want to be the most transparent and responsive agency in the state of Oklahoma. So anytime that you have a question or an issue, please send it over to us. But, you know, the, the teachers union, you know, I, I don't negotiate with the teachers union. They're a terrorist organization that is content. Members, members. That has continued to spread misinformation around the state and lie about our administration. So, Speaker, my, my goal has always been to provide transparency, truth, and be very, very open and honest with every single program and everything that we're doing. And so, I hope every member knows they always have, we have an open door policy. Anytime they can come to our agency, they can meet with me and any division head. We can talk about any program, any initiative you want. We will do a deep dive to ensure that taxpayers know where every dollar is going and, and why we've made the decisions we've made. I love it. I love it. I don't negotiate with terrorists is essentially what he was saying, and it's great. They're a terrorist organization. He's right. And that guy is the state superintendent for education, Ryan Walters. Of course, in the article, they call it culture war campaign rhetoric and his support for school choice policies called teachers unions terrorist organizations, and accused his predecessor of running the State Department into the ground. He's right. All the woke ideologies it says that existed throughout, the wasteful spending, all of it, 100%. Here's another piece of audio from the exact same meeting. The caption under the audio is, Representative Ryan Martinez, the committee's vice chairman, abruptly ended the meeting after several members of the minority party took issue with Walters saying, quote, Democrats want to strike out any mentions of the Bible from our history, unquote. He apparently also received tough questions from Republicans, seemingly, and, uh, and the other side. 
And he also brought a slideshow with him showing all of the perverse books that existed and a number of other things. But here's that audio in three, two, one. Representative Goodwin, you're recognized to bring us home. Thank you. Uh, Superintendent Walters, I'm literally looking at you, thinking about comments that I've heard about you from folks that have known you from the past, um, seeing a great uh, change of direction uh, in many ways and seemingly in who you are. And maybe they didn't know who you were or maybe you're just finding yourself. But I wanted to, you know, seriously, you talk about the dumpster fire of SDE, yet you do not address your constant flame throwing. And, and understanding that, how does this benefit Again, when you talk about how we're going to educate all children, right, all yep. children, yep. how do we do that when then you didn't talk about teaching history without indoctrination? You being a white male that knows that we have history that addresses the, the Native American population, Hispanic population, Black population, Pacific Islander population, how do you do that? in an honest way that is not divisive, mm -hmm. that actually attempts to bring folks together and talk about our history that is oftentimes wretched, but the more we can address the wrong that's there, the quicker we can get on the right track. Can you share how you want to get on a better track? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. Again, your reference to, you know, I know I've had several students that have come out and said, hey, you know, we didn't know that these were your political beliefs, and I get that that's exactly the point. So in the classroom, I'm sitting here and I'm being very clear about our history. I'm being very clear about teaching the academic standards. They had no idea my, you know, what I believed on certain issues. Because, again, that's what teachers should look like in a classroom, is we're not pushing one way or the other. And, I, and here's the thing. I, I, I agree with kind of what you're saying there from a premise. I think we should all be able to agree on getting back to the basics. The thing that is divisive is the indoctrination. That is what is divisive. And if we come together and say, we want this out of our schools, we want to focus on our history. And again, I, I said this earlier, I want our whole history taught. It's incredibly important for students to know that when you live up to our core principles, we are the greatest country in the history of the world. Look at our history, look at what we've done, look at what we've done for the individual. And it's important that they know when we didn't and say, listen, this is why it's important. This is why I, I implore an emphasis on the Constitution, the founding, so that our kids understand that. I think that's the path to move forward for students of all backgrounds to be empowered through that. And I think that that should be an agreement point of all, all folks of all backgrounds to be able to agree to that. I'll give you one more representative. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I know that it's the, you know, our history talks about folks being three-fifths human. Our history talks about slave codes. You're familiar with all that. You're, you're an educator. Uh, that being the case, again, your campaign promises are in no way some kind of educational campus policy or process or best practices. That being the case, leave all that out. Leave that inside your house somewhere. But when you come out, as the public superintendent, we would ask the best, whatever you got in your heart as a human being that talks about educating all students, that's what we need. We don't need all of the racist tinged comments. We don't need the divisiveness. We don't need you pulling along parents that have not been fully exposed to all of the folks. If you said you wanted all parents to be satisfied with education, trust and believe we got enough problems in education right now that without all the regular 
you're not going to be able to fix by yourself. I wouldn't even ask you to do that. But I know your job is difficult, and I do not understand how you think taking up some of your time with all of that other junk somehow advances and closes the academic performance gap of our students. Black, white, red, yellow, white, whatever. Help me with your plan. Don't don't do any more flamethrowing. Just talk about, really, how you are committed to that. And if you're not committed to that, what kind of talk with Jesus do you have to have tonight to get on track? Well, Representative, I, I appreciate the question. And, you know, I've been, I feel like very clear today, and I've been very direct in the way I campaigned and the way um, my, what my positions are. And, and my job, look, I, I don't care to offend people. I don't care if people are triggered by what I say. I don't care if it's politically correct or not, or what the what the whims are of, of some some people who get upset about everything. My job is to speak truth and to find solutions to problems. So I'm going to always say what's true, what I think is right. I'm always going to pursue that for kids and parents. And, you know, if the radical leftists want to lose their mind and try to push more divisiveness in our schools, I'm going to fight them on it. We're going to make sure that our schools are on track. And, again, it is the radical leftists that have decided to inject this into our schools. That is what has divided folks. That's what's divided our classrooms. That's the agenda that is divisive. And again, the way forward, the way to improve education is to get all that nonsense, all that radicalism out, but the focus on academics, provide school choice for every parent, give the supports for our great teachers, provide all kinds of incentives for great teachers, provide all kinds of resources there for our teachers, and to put students at the center of every kind of every decision that we make. Okay, members, this is what we're going to do. Representative Bennett, you're going to be recognized for one question. Then Representative Lowe Dick, you're going to be recognized for one question. And then afterwards, I'm going to hand out medals to everybody who stayed here and survived the war of attrition. Uh, Representative Bennett, you're recognized for I one question. I think that's a participation trophy, and I don't think that we should encourage that. Well, so, so you, sir, did not achieve a high mark today, so you will not receive a medal. Yeah, I thought it, I'll, I'll be honest, I saw that coming. Uh, Superintendent, her question uh, regarding your rhetoric was not about party um, alone. I don't want to speak for... My, my colleague from Tulsa, but but my my view uh, is when you talk about um, radical leftists, that is certainly partisan, and I and I do question how you see us coming together as a result of that kind of language. But you you also uh, talk about it in terms of American history and not teaching the bad side of it. Uh, but then this morning, before you came in here, you posted a video wherein you talk about how you'd like to put Bibles in all public schools. I grew up in a Christian church, um, and I, I still adhere to many of those beliefs, but it is not our job, and in fact, it is constitutionally prohibited for us to. Uh, I guess I'm curious what your definition of indoctrination is, because what you said in that video could absolutely be construed as an attempt to indoctrinate kids. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate that question, because it does illustrate that Democrats want to strike out any mentions of the Bible from our history and make sure that our kids Superintendent, I, I do not believe that. Representative Bennett, keep that Representative Bennett. You my question, I'd appreciate it. Alright, this meeting's adjourned. Thank you for being here. Have a Isn't it great? <laughs> Isn't it just great? I love it. I love it. That superintendent's not backing down. He's going, you're all nuts. 
you're all nuts. And then they're saying, well, th it, th that's just divisive. And why is it that showing all these perverse books and all that stuff, how is that, that going to fix the problem? Ladies and gentlemen, you can't make peace with the enemy. You have to destroy them. It's that simple. You don't make peace with evil. You destroy it. And the easiest way to destroy it is to tell the enemy what it doesn't want to hear, tell it what it can't handle, move forward anyway, and just bulldoze right over top of them. That's all you have to do. You can't fix this, though. This political back and forth that has been created in our country on a constant basis, it can't ultimately be fixed. Because that would involve rooting out every single administrator, every single teacher, the constant fighting, the infighting, the games that get played, the back and forth, all that nonsense, the homeschooling families laughing their asses off because none of that takes place. They take all of the responsibility onto them because they have the responsibility. Government, of course, thinks that they have the responsibility to teach the child, to raise the village, as they would say. It takes a village. No, it does not. It takes an individual. Individualism is the lost art. You're hearing that superintendent talk. He's an individual. You can tell. Because all of the snakes in the den are writhing around and slithering around and hissing the way that they do. There is no middle ground. There is no, let's bring us all together on a particular issue. It'll never happen. It's impossible. Just like he said earlier, I'm not going to negotiate with a teacher's union. They're a terrorist organization which means you can't negotiate with anybody who supports the teachers' union. They're terrorists. <laughs> it's perfect. He's 100% right. That's a man of God right there, swinging a, a flaming sword, and he doesn't care who it strikes. Again, the biggest weapon that the enemy hates, just like Medusa, would be a mirror. That's why Medusa hates the mirror. Same thing. They're forced to look at themselves, and then they explode. It's no different with Bolshevism. It's no different with these Bolsheviks, many of which, of course, are Democrats. Not new, but it's amazing. It's, too, it's not one of those things that's too big to fail. It's so big, it has to be destroyed. It absolutely has to be destroyed. Let me mention this now. Back to a local level here. Five out of the ten school levies that exist here, I'm sorry, nine out of the twelve school levies, that's even better, nine out of the twelve school levies failed in the local tri-county area where I live, including two in my county that were the only two, I believe, going on in my county. Let me make sure that that's, uh, that's legit. Yep, there were two. Edgewood City Schools and Ross Local Schools, I've brought those up previously in previous episodes, both failed. Absolutely fantastic. Let me read these two descriptions from these school districts because this is, uh, again, their excuses are astounding. It says Edgewood City Schools. The school's district treasurer, Patty Bowers, says Edgewood is forecasted to enter a spending deficit of $1.6 this year 
To address the deficit, the district is asking the community to pass a 1% income tax levy to cover current expenses. Bowers attributed the deficit to teacher salary increases and inflation. That's why. That's the problem. It's not the degenerate policies that they bring in. That's not it. It's not the wasteful spending on games, gimmicks, and bullshit that don't ever have to be there in the first place. That's not it. It's not all of their wasteful spending on the COVID lie. That's not it. It's just the broad, well, it's high teacher pay and inflation. It says the deficit is expected to increase this year, leading to a forecasted total deficit of $21.9 million by 2028 if the levy does not pass. And it did not pass. So here was the result. It said the school district's treasurer, blah, 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 I already said that. Okay. It says it did not pass Tuesday night with 57% of voters against the measure. Yes. That's, a, that's the vast majority. They're not going to find 7% anywhere in order to switch it one way or another. It, it, it just, it won't. So they're becoming insolvent and the state will move in and clean house. That's the ultimate end game, and that's exactly what has to happen. The next one, Ross Local Schools. It says in last November's election, the school attempted to pass a 7.9 million operating levy, but it was rejected by voters. This year, the district's request to the community grew to a 9.5 million five year emergency levy to cover its expenses. It did not pass with 59% voting against it. Shocking, isn't it? (laughs) We're going to raise your property taxes even more with an added 2 million plus, or approximately 2 million. Shocking that no one voted for it, or that at least it didn't pass by a 59% vote. Incredible. It says in the past two years, Ross Local Schools has cut about 1.8 million from its budget and expects to cut another 600000 in personnel costs by next school year. The district is currently in deficit spending and its five-year forecast shows that even with the significant staffing cuts, the deficit could grow to close to $6 million by 2027. In a message to the community earlier this year, Superintendent Chad Conkle said that the district would have to would have to fire dozens of employees if the levy did not pass. Aw, boo-hoo. Says Ross High School principal Brian Martin told families students are already feeling the effects of staff cuts in the classroom and the school could, pos- uh, I'm sorry, potentially lose numerous extracurricular activities if the financial situation does not improve. Boo-hoo. Too bad. Heaven forbid they just pick up a book. Isn't that, isn't that a sad thing? St- sad state of affairs. That, that Becky and Tim aren't going to be able to kick around a ball anymore. And oh gosh, what will we do with our time? We might have to actually pick up a book and, heaven forbid, read and learn a few things. Strange. Maybe get out there and see the world. Explore a little bit. We used to play in the woods when I was a kid. How about any of you? We used to walk on the train tracks, you know, turn over dead animals and look at stuff. (laughs) I mean, come on. Go outside. Do something else. Homeschool. 
Again, the homeschooling family's laughing. This is not their problem. Think of, again, the scale that I brought up in a previous episode as a metaphor. If you have homeschoolers increasing, are those homeschoolers and those homeschooling families that are increasing in any area, are they going to vote for school levies? No, they're not. They're not going to vote for higher taxes. They want their money right where it belongs, in their own pockets, which means as that scale becomes unbalanced, the local school district is losing people and they're going to keep asking for levies. Well, what happens on the other side of that scale as they keep losing people? Homeschoolers continue to rise. We are living through the collapse of the American K-12 school system. There's no avoiding it. I love it. It's great. Which means what's going to happen to the local school district where I live? They're finished. They're finished. They have to find, ladies and gentlemen, 3,000 voters in order for a school levy to pass where I live in the local school district. It's not going to happen. You can't make up 3,000 voters. Voter fraud could do it, but it will look too obvious. If all of a sudden they find 3,000 voters, it will be voter fraud. And we are keeping an eye on that. We're keeping tabs on that, which means if that happens, well, there's going to be a giant investigation and they're going to be thrown in jail. There's no other way. That's going to end up happening if they try to cheat. Blows me away, but I love it. Keep trying with the levies. And no, it's not this magical, uh, invisible inflation. It's a giant intentional. It's your own degeneracy. It's your own wasting of time. It's your own mismanagement of funds. That's what's causing the American K-12 system to collapse. You can't lie for over 100 years and get away with it. Eventually, it will fall. And it's falling. Okay. Here's something else that was thrown my way, again, leading to the collapse and leading to the degeneracy and the ongoing criminality of American K-12 education. It, of course, is prom season, and numerous students are dying on prom night, and that continues to be a thing. Very quickly, a quick little search of the old interweb on the Brave browser, if you type in prom death, and then you take the safe search off and you just click the last month. Here are some headlines. Alabama couple dies in high school prom night. Uh, it continues multiple stories about that. Community mourns pair of teens killed at Mississippi prom after a gunman shot up the prom four days ago. Weird. Weird how the media doesn't bring up this mass shooting at a prom in Mississippi. Why is that? Predominantly black school, predominantly black students, shoot up a Mississippi prom, multiple dead. Hmm. Four teenagers were wounded, it said, uh, and two were killed. Strange. Car accidents, prom night car accidents, so on and so forth. Isn't it funny how it's not funny, it's sad and depressing, but I've written about this in my books. Why is it that this activity that is condoned and sanctioned and put forth 
by the school system continues to exist when people die every single time. I might be alone in this, but I've always viewed the homecoming prom dances as being useless. They're useless. Always have been, continue to be remarkably dangerous. You have the prom night, middle of the night pregnancies that take place in all those stories. You have the alcohol poisoning, you have the forced sex, you have, uh, you have the, the societal pressure to engage in those behaviors, you have the drug use, so on and so forth. Why is it that the school environment, and we know why, it's a rhetorical question, but why is it that the school environment that condones all of these activities refuses to acknowledge their responsibility in the behaviors that take place as a result of setting it up in the first place. They never take responsibility for it. Never. It's a rite of passage, Sean. Not everybody does those things. Some people just like to go and dance and have a good time. And I love how parents don't question the fact that there are male chaperones. That male school teachers and administrators chaperone these events, and that that wouldn't look creepy in the slightest. Speaking of creepy teachers, there's this story which was sent to me by our excellent Louisiana educator. Let me read the story briefly before I play the audio, because yes, it's disgusting. From the Associated Press and Channel 7 on your side, ABC. Former Arkansas teacher arrested in Louisiana after explicit video surfaces. Jacob de la Paz, or Paz, 33, was arrested Thursday and charged by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security with the federal crime of enticing a minor to produce child pornography or child sexual assault material, local news outlets report. Want to hear the video he sent to the individual that made its way to TikTok? Get your barf bag ready. Here it comes. It's graphic in three, two, one. Hey, Brooke, I want you to send a video to me of you pleasing yourself thinking about me. And to the sound of my voice, I want you to imagine that you get to do all the things that you wanted to do to me while I'm tutoring you, you imagining unbuckling my belt buckle pulling down my pants, and getting to do whatever you want to me. And there you go. So, bury him under the prison, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's the least of what should happen. Apparently, there was a crush between the student in, in, uh, in question and the, uh, the teacher themselves. Doesn't matter. You've heard me go over that procedure and policy before. Anytime that there's any communication on the part of the student toward the teacher in this kind of a sexual nature, the teacher has the responsibility to report it immediately to all administrators, email the district, and even tell the police if they want to. I recommend that. Um, you know, the, the student should, should not get away with such things. The, the problem is, is you have possessed lunatic school teachers like this who have no problem reciprocating in some kind of a crush or relationship in a manner like that. 
And of course, here's the kicker. This has happened before. It says De La Paz had previously, or Paz, don't care, had pre- he's he's going to be dead if he goes to jail. <laughs> we know how we know how jail handles people like him. It says that uh, he had previously taught in Arkansas, where he faced complaints in 2015 that he had quote engaged in an inappropriate communication slash grooming by texting extensively with a student. Uh, the newspaper reported that he had messaged the student about desiring a future relationship and asked the student to lie about the relationship for them to protect each other and that they had to be very good actors. So he's done. He should have been done the first time. But there you have it. They always get second chances. They, you know, the, the school districts cover it up. They end up leaving before something occurs, what, whatever it may be. But uh, these are the kinds of people, again, that should be buried under the prison. Again, a, a predator like that won't quit. They won't quit. There will be another victim if he gets out, and that's the way that it goes. Ah, American public school. Isn't it delightful? Okay. Here's another thing you can do on the old Brave browser if you're interested, or any browser. Well, probably not any browser, but certainly uh, certainly the Brave browser. Type in uh, school teacher dies. Watch what pops up. Third teacher from Colorado school district dies after uh, suspected illness. I'm sorry, suspected meningitis case. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure it's meningitis as to why they're all dropping dead. It's the jabs. The jabs causes meningitis, if that's what they mean. Uh, Let's see. Third Cherry Creek school district teacher dies. Same thing. Here's another one. Salon high school teacher dies unexpectedly at the age of 40. Weird. 41-year-old teacher dies of heart attack in school. It just, it continues. It just goes on and on and on. Another, uh, another soccer player in Michigan passed away. I think a 12-year-old, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm sorry, 15-year-old. 15-year-old Western Michigan high school athlete dies suddenly after medical emergency. Dies suddenly. Cause of death, baffled. Here's another quick story. Again, horrible. Preschool teacher arrested for murder during class's nap time. Says a former preschool teacher was arrested for murder while her students were taking their naps. Deanna Ornelas, 22, was among two suspects detained in relation to the death of Oliver Waterfall, whose body was found along a highway in Santa Cruz County, California, on April 11th, the Stanford Daily reports. Uh, Dennis Novova, 27, I believe, was identified as the other suspect charged in the murder of Waterfall. Ornelas, who was working at the Children's Center of the Stanford community at the time, was arrested on Stanford University's campus last week. The arrest happened at nap time and outside of the perimeter of the CCSC campus. Children were not present when this occurred, and it did not disrupt operations. Well, that's good. Speaking of murders, however, uh, apparently three people have been stabbed, at least three, in and around Davis, California, where the University of Davis 
or UC Davis, the University of California Davis is located. Uh, it's a, a massive story. Three individuals, as it turns out. A Barreau was stabbed and killed at Davis's Central Park. A Najam was stabbed and killed at Davis's Sycamore Park. And the third victim was stabbed in the area of 2nd and L Streets at a ho- homeless encampment, it says. It says, are they related? Is this a serial killer? Probably. Uh, there you go. Again, assume it's real. I assume it's legit. But yeah, a lot of police response, a lot of, lot of people talking about it. You uh, see Davis campus response as well. Curfew, will there be a curfew? It says people need to make smart choices and uh, it would be difficult to enforce and the department doesn't have enough resources. Don't worry, it's California though. Very difficult to carry a gun, if not impossible. Defending yourself is next to impossible. But don't worry, again, it's, you know, it's gun violence. Gun violence. You know, these guns that grow legs and run around and find people, but in this particular case, it's knife violence. A knife, you know, just grows legs and arms and runs around town randomly stabbing people. Yes, that's the problem. Very quick news here out of Oklahoma. Also wanted to touch on this briefly. Again, here's the scale, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the metaphorical scale of education yet again, only in this case, again, in the state of Oklahoma. It's, uh, this is from Breitbart. Here's the headline, Performing Trans Surgery on Children Prescribing Puberty Blockers is Now a Felony in Oklahoma. Excellent. On one end of the scale, you have the crazies who want to chop kids' genitals off. And on the other, you have this law that says, well, you can't now, it's a felony. Fantastic. Here's another one. Governor Stitt celebrates final passage of transformative school choice bill. And there's the superintendent who you heard from earlier and standing right there with a huge smile on his face because, yes, real educators would advocate for school choice. That's what they would do. It says, Governor Kevin Stitt today celebrated final passage of HB 1934, the Oklahoma Parental Choice Tax Credit Act, in the House of Representatives by a vote total of 61 to 31. It says, quote, or he said, quote, today a major victory for parents and students across the state. With the House's action today, we have made transformative change to improve education outcomes for Oklahoma students. I am grateful to all the members of the legislature who have stood with parents and gotten school choice across the finish line. It says this, and this is nice. Specifically, the Oklahoma Parental Choice Tax Credit Act provides the following amount for the parents who choose to send their child to a private or charter school outside of their zip code assigned public school. There's also, it says down here, $1,000 for parents who choose to homeschool. They get the least amount of money, which is unfortunate, but either way, they're basically just taking a big dump on public school, which is fantastic. $7,500 per student in households earning up to $75,000 annually. $7,000 per student in households earning between $75,000 and $100,000 annually. $6,500 per student in households earning between $150,000 and $225,000 annually. 
$6,000 per student in households earning between $225,000 and $250,000 annually, and $5,000 per student in households earning over $250,000 annually. HB 1934 also provides $1,000 per child for parents who choose to homeschool. It says the bill now sits in the House of Representatives until it is sent to the governor's desk for his signature, and that was on May 2nd. That's fantastic. I wish that homeschooling parents would get more money. Uh, but but again, $1,000 in, in the pocket of a parent for homeschooling for their child for the year, which again, annually here, that's more than enough. A Becca.com doesn't cost that much. These homeschooling programs don't cost that much. The state of Oklahoma is giving you an out. They're telling you, Here's $1,000, and I'm saying, try abeca.com. If your child can read and write, they can teach themselves. There's your answer. There's your answer. Okay, two jab-related things real quick. This is from the Wentworth Report, and it turns out that Australia has now lifted any ban on ivermectin. It's a little uh, too little too late, I'm afraid, but either way, it's it's good that it's finally occurred. You know, that drug that would have saved everybody's lives and they wouldn't have had to take the jabs and uh, been coerced into taking. My God, I mean, the level of criminality here is astounding. It says the following very quickly. After 628, after a 628-day ban for no medical reason, the Australian TGA has decided that our doctors will be allowed to prescribe ivermectin off-label, quote-unquote, again, like they did for decades without a problem. Apparently, they don't have to worry now that crazy people will use it to avoid getting injected with a barely studied radical new form of a drug, which had no published data. How many Australians died because ivermectin was banned? One might ask, as it says here. It says one study of 8,300 people in Brazil showed that taking ivermectin regularly before catching COVID halved the odds of catching it and reduced mortality by 92%. Prophylactic use reduced hospitalization by 98% and in a dose-dependent manner. If the unvaccinated people were threatening our hospital system, it was only ever because they were denied ivermectin by unaccountable, unelected government committees. I'm telling you, when the public wakes up to what these doctors did, you're going to see a bunch of doctors flopping around on the ground with their arms and legs ripped off because their patients are going to know exactly what's occurred here. They read an email. They did what a private government agency told them to do. And then game over. Endless people dead as a result of this. And now they're just like, hey, now you can use it again. Now you can use ivermectin. No problem. It's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. I want to conclude with this. And I've read some of these tweets in the past because, again, the constant virtue signaling, as we know, is not virtuous. It's remarkable cowardice. And people are not connecting the dots. This comes from Patriots.win. This was brought to my attention by a listener of the show. They know who they are. Thank you. And uh, 
yeah, there are numerous posts here and numerous tweets. And let me get to a few of them. Uh, here is one from a couple of days ago. Let's see. Uh, well, this is May 3rd. Here we go. From a Miss B-D at Autism Mom 2, I'm sorry, 721. They said, Trump and his kids should be in jail. Yet, here we are. Hashtag still waiting. And then they responded to someone, and they uh, this person asked them, Serious question, do you know anyone who is fully vaccinated, boosted, and never got COVID? The person said, both my son and I are and haven't had it yet. Then the next post says, this has been the second worst day of my life. Today, I made the final arrangements for my youngest son. He passed unexpectedly Wednesday, the 26th of April. They're just clueless. They're absolutely clueless. Not connecting the dots. Here's another one. Uh, At JulesXO. They said on Twitter the following, quote, There must be some sort of app to detect who of your followers is a Trump supporter. Is this a thing? Question mark. Please share if so. And then on May 5th of 2021, that was November of 2020. This is May 5th of 2021. They titled at the beginning, Vaccinated, with crying face emojis and yet hearts and, uh, and balloon poppers emojis, I guess. And it says, feeling beyond grateful, thankful, thankful for my new friend, Nicole, who I got to chat with for a long time before they got their final doses of the night. Feeling emotional plus optimistic, sending love to you all. And then May 3rd of 2023, in October of 2021, I was diagnosed with a rare stage 4 cancer less than two weeks before our son's second birthday. Since then, my husband has been nothing short of incredible every day. He has handled this life-shattering diagnosis with hope, grace, plus optimism. He means the world to me. And, yeah. Not connecting the dots. Not a clue that it's jab-related. Here's another one. At Jen underscore Eve L on Twitter, from April 14th of 2021, they said the following. In about 24 hours, uh, and Dustin for all will be getting our second Pfizer vaccine shots. Trying to hydrate now, as I've heard that helps with side effects. No, water won't solve it. Water, water won't fix your problem. It says, also took tomorrow off just in case. Can't wait to hug some people in a couple of weeks. Oh my God. Here's another aspect before I keep reading. Isn't it interesting, all of these workplaces, including school districts, and then of course individuals, openly saying, hey look, feel free and take the day off after getting the shot because we know that there are some side effects. And nobody is saying to themselves that it's poison. That the reason you get side effects is from poison. You don't get side effects from a cure. You get side effects from poison. It's amazing. This person then continued, March 25th of this year, 2023, they said, for those of you who knew my husband, at and Dustin for all, 
I'm so sorry to share that he passed away this week. My life is a living fucking nightmare, unquote. And then they continued April 4th of 2023. It's really fucked my husband. It's really fucked. My husband didn't get to see Trump arrested, they said. And then April 8th of 2023, four days later, they said, I guess I'm not alone. I had to demand an autopsy for my husband with the at San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office. They had him for four days and hadn't even called me. When I reached out, said they had a cause of death based on an extreme, I'm sorry, an external exam. I said, quote, the F you do. And then, yeah, and they continued these, they're not stopping. April 29th of this year, they said, just kind of realizing how unbelievably offensive it was for my neighbor to ask about my dead husband's vac status. It wasn't, I wasn't even sure of this man's first name. That's how little we speak. I just told him, wife, not to spread misinformation about my husband and how offended I am. And then their final tweet on April 29th of this year, we could go on all day, but I'll leave you both with this. My husband just died and I'm raising a son alone at 40. I think I deserve some help. I will get a meager monthly payment for my son from the government. And that is it. Meanwhile, others get rich for having the right face, unquote. You know, it's not. It's not, uh, it's not virtuous. It just isn't. It's not, and again, it's not even virtuous reading, reading these posts. I'm only reading these posts just so everybody knows. I read posts like this from time to time to highlight the fact that these are the very people who wanted us to die. Remember that? These were the people who wanted the unjabbed to die. It's the people like this that were saying the things that they were saying, wishing death upon us. And we said, you might not want to take those. In fact, don't take those. How'd that, how's that working out? How's that working out for everybody? Blows me away. Again, I take no pleasure in reading those, but it's the facts. You've heard me read numerous posts of individuals who have these incredible emotional outbursts when someone asks them if they've taken the shots. Again, they talk about a particular health problem that they have or a friend of theirs have or you know, a spouse has, another family member, whatever it is. And the first question out of logical people's mouths is, is did they take the shots? And then they look at them like they're crazy. It's, it's absolutely wild. That's the matrix, though. That's how strong it is. That's how it holds on to people. Let me end with this. Uh, more of a positive note here, and certainly in the ivermectin realm. This was a post on greatawakening.win, and it said the following. It was titled, While We're Talking About Ivermectin, check this out. It says, quote, Friends, my mom developed what looks like a small ball on the bottom of her eye over some months. It is partially in the waterline. She refuses to go to the doctor for reasons that we can all understand. The size of this ball was a bit smaller in diameter than the back of a pen or a pencil eraser. 
It became reddened and then started getting painful. She decided to go see her doctor. Doctor says it's cancer and refers her to a specialist, which she's still waiting to see. I asked her if she would like to try ivermectin and MMS while she waits. If that failed, then I was going to have her try fenbendazole. Uh, she says yes, it says. Then they said the following, quote, I saw her today and couldn't believe my eyes. I don't think she could either. It's been a week and a half, and the size of the mass is half what it was, no longer red or painful. This improvement was reached with one dose of ivermectin according to her body weight per day and two drop doses of MMS. I'm not sure what MMS stands for. My apologies. Um, and that says one to two times per day. She's taking it slow because I don't think that she has a lot of faith it would do anything because she's taking both the ivermectin and the MMS internally and applied topically. I can't say 100% it's one over the other, but I can tell you that I've never seen anything work so fast in my life. We don't know what the industry standard treatment protocol is for something like this. We assumed it would be some kind of cutting or radiation which, doesn't, which she doesn't want. And then they ended by saying, quote, we wanted to talk, I'm, I'm sorry, we wanted to take before and after pictures, no kidding. And we wanted to tell her doctor, but decided against it. Doctor simply can't be trusted anymore. I'm going to take a picture of it for our own before and after to put in our own medical reference manual. She's going to stay on it another week and take a week break, then start again. Her appointment is at the end of May. I told her if we continue to see improvement, we can reschedule the appointment and give this a little more time to work. If or when it goes away, she plans, she's planning rather, on going to her doctor for a follow-up to see what he says. I thought you should know, unquote. Absolutely fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, if I haven't done this before, I will put it on the website under the medical documents section of americaneducationfm.com. I'm in possession of a couple of cancer um, protocols, we'll call them, cancer protocols, potential cancer protocols. Again, I'm not a medical doctor, but at this point, if you can acquire these things without a prescription, which you can, all of the things that are suggested within these protocols, then, uh, th then go for it. But I will compile that document very quickly and toss it up on the website so that you can see it. And again, I've, I've read some of those protocols here on the show. I, I think I even linked one in a previous episode not that long ago. But uh, feel free and check those out if you are interested. And again, why not, uh, why not give it a try? Can't hurt. Again, there's no side effects to these by and large. I, certain, I certainly have taken them before. I've taken fenbendazole before along with ivermectin. Uh, didn't experience any side effects whatsoever, but you know, that's just me. So yeah, again, not a medical doctor, but you can make the choice on your own. Okay. With that said, I will catch you on Monday where I will be having a discussion with Dr. Robin McCutcheon. We're going to talk about all things Marshall University, how the school year has wrapped up, the jabs, the impact that that is having on the university as well, and numerous other things, including the financial situation that we are experiencing. 
And uh, yeah, the military operations that are taking place, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure that will be a part of the discussion as well. So with that said, have a great weekend. I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.